Hello, my beautiful Woman Inc. listeners. Welcome back. I have two absolute legends on the podcast this week, Loretta McCarthy and Joanne Corcoran. Loretta and Joanne are both the co-CEO and managing partner of Golden Seeds. Golden Seeds is an investment organization that invests in early stage woman-led companies in the United States. Golden Seeds is one of the largest and most active angel investment networks in the country. No big deal. The organization is recognized as a leader in the movement to fund women entrepreneurs and for its advocacy for women entrepreneurs gender diversity, and a commitment to the education of angel investors, which we know I am incredibly passionate about. I was fangirling very hard. Since 2005, Golden Seeds has invested over $170 million in more than 225 women-led companies. Loretta manages the National Golden Seeds Angel Network of 350 members. She is a frequent speaker in the U.S. and internationally about early stage investing, women entrepreneurs, and gender diversity. Previously, Loretta was Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Oppenheimer Funds and was an executive at the American Express Company. Loretta served on the board of directors at Forrester's Financial and the Women's Tennis Association and the governing body of women's tennis worldwide. She was also the past president of Sanctuary for Families, which provides services to women who are victims of gender violence. Joanne manages the deal flow and post-investment processes at Golden Seeds. Under her leadership, the Angel Network has developed a national ecosystem that has contributed to a collaborative and high-quality deal flow. She is also a general partner at three Golden Seeds venture funds that invest in early-stage companies with gender-diverse management teams. These funds have committed capital of $48 million and enabled for more people to invest in the Golden Seeds investment thesis. Previously, Joanne was Managing Director at Credit Suisse Asset Management, Credit Suisse, and First Boston. Joanne currently serves on the Board of Directors for Work Truck Solutions, a commercial vehicle inventory and marketing solutions company, and Meet Elise, a multifamily real estate's most advanced AI leasing assistant. Joanne is also currently the chair of the non-fiduciary board of Common Cause New York, a nonpartisan grassroots organization dedicated to upholding the core values of American democracy. She lives in New York City. I feel like I just had to say more accomplishments on a bio than I've ever had to say. I mean, these two women are absolutely incredible. I was blown away in this conversation. They are so knowledgeable about female-founded companies, about female entrepreneurs. They are just absolutely brilliant and their backgrounds. I am just so proud and honored to have them on the podcast. Now let's get on over to my conversation with Joanne and Loretta. Welcome to the Woman Inc. podcast. This is the place for the new generation of women looking to lead the life of their absolute dreams. I'm your host, Jenna Toddy, entrepreneur, life coach, and strategist for modern businesswomen and entrepreneurs. I am a city girl, sriracha lover, and that friend who will hype you up when you forget how powerful you truly are. I am on a mission to make Women Inc. the most powerful network of women who are leveling up, owning what they want, and becoming who they've always wanted to be. Have you ever wondered what it would look like if you went all in on yourself? No turning back. If so, you are in the right place, my girl. Let's get started. 
Loretta and Joanne, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm not used to talking to two people. So let's see. <laughs> I'm excited though. Thank you. Golden Seeds is so incredible. I love what you guys are doing. Can you rewind us back to the beginning days of starting Golden Seeds and kind of how the, the whole company came about? Well, I can do that. Just so you know, I'm not a founder of Golden Seeds and neither is Loretta. Stephanie Newby is the founder. And Stephanie had a successful Wall Street career. She left Wall Street in the early noughts, along somewhere in 2002 or something. And she was really interested in, in private equity and venture. And so she joined multiple groups in the New York City area to learn. And um, we discovered that she was almost always one of two or three or the only woman at the investor meetings. And she you know, pretty quickly recognized that female entrepreneurs were treated differently than their male counterparts. In some respects, they were frequently treated with less seriousness. And more importantly, the female founders were, I would say, they were substantially less likely to get funded. So she had this you know, sort of brainstorm that if I wanted, if this is to want to change, we need to get more women investors in the room. And that was it. Golden Seeds was born. She went out and went to her networks and started with mostly female investors. And that was the, the beginning in 2007. And then you can fast forward 18 years to now. And we've invested nearly $175 million in 240 companies. Those companies have gone on to raise nearly $2 billion. Uh, and all of this has been done by over a thousand investors in our network, starting with those from those early days when Stephanie got this started. And they are, have been a thousand investors in our funds and our network. Uh, we're one of the largest of 250 angel groups in the country. And we're by far the largest that invest exclusively in women led companies. We're continuing to grow. We're adding new chapters. We're connecting with more investors and we're adding more funds. I would love to know how both of you started your careers individually in investing. Well, I, I worked in uh, institutional fixed income and, you know, various research and management roles, mostly at Credit Suisse and First Boston. And when I was introduced to Golden Seeds by two ex-colleagues who are actually still investors at Golden Seeds, um, I was just immediately immediately intrigued by the depth and breadth of the companies that were, you know, being shown to us by women entrepreneurs. And that I could actually be part of a movement that was, you know, working to justify sort of gender disparities was just like, that was just a bonus. So that's how I got there. Loretta, how about you? So I also had a long career at Wall Street on Wall Street, but with quite a different focus than Joanne. In my case, I worked at both American Express and also at Oppenheimer Funds. Uh, and in both cases, for various reasons, I became intrigued uh, by how women and men handled money, investing, 
how they invested, how they thought about credit and all of those topics in, in really different ways from one another. I've always been interested in, in the advancement of women, uh, including their knowledge of finance. So when I became aware of the gap of funding of women entrepreneurs, I also was all over the idea of helping playing some role in closing this gap. Yes. And the data shows us that the gap makes zero sense, right? Because women-owned businesses are often very successful. Yeah. I, you know, the, in 2005, which is the year we first started investing, we learned this, that women were starting at least 25% of the new companies, but they were receiving less than 3% of the capital that was going to startups. So our goals became very obvious and very simple, and that was to level the playing field and to ultimately what we have come to call changed the landscape of startup investing. So over time, we've learned that in addition to that mission, many people actually recognize that diversity really matters, which should be no surprise to any of your audience, uh, that all decisions and all deliberations are really better if decision makers are diverse. And that there is also a recognition that investing in women-led companies will actually produce better investment results. So where there is data, particularly for large cap companies, this is definitely the case. Uh, share price growth in large companies, if they have at least one, even just one woman on their board of directors is 20% higher than companies where they don't have women on their boards. And companies that have the highest representation of women on their executive committees are actually 25% more likely to have above average financial performance. So we've seen this for years in large cap companies, and we conclude there is no reason that should not also be the case with these smaller venture-backed firms. And um, there's also a recent study of early stage private companies that shows a similar kind of positive result for gender diversity. Um, it was published in uh, 2019 by Boston Consulting Group in Mass Challenge. Mass Challenge is this gigantic accelerator program um, in Boston. And the results there, because these are sort of emblazoned in my brain, show that the women-led companies in that program received a lot less capital than the comparable male companies, 53% on average, less. However, those female-led companies at the end of two years had more revenue per dollar of capital invested by a substantial amount, more than twice as much revenue at the two-year mark. And they also had absolute higher levels of revenue. And you know, you might ask the obvious question, why is that? Well, we don't know for sure, but um, maybe it's because uh, necessity is the mother of invention and you do what you got to do. And when I think about right now, if we're you know, at a point where we're looking at a possible recession next year, um, well, that suggests that, you know, seeing alpha outlays, they may be pretty well equipped to deal with that because they're sort of used to difficult funding markets because a lot of them have had to deal with it since they started their company. What is the difference? Because I think there's a lot of misconception on this between venture capital and angel investing. Angel investing differs 
from VC business in that it's individuals. It's like you and me or somebody else. We're investing our own funds out of our own checking or savings accounts or brokerage accounts. We're doing our own due diligence. We're making our own decisions to invest or not to invest. And that's, you know, in contrast to if you invest in a, in a venture fund, you're giving a third party the fiduciary right to manage your money. And I think that it's important to point out that a lots of people out there don't really know that angel investing is such a huge force in the, in the United States. It's a, it's a major driver of innovation in our economy at the very beginning. And, you know, if you start talking to people, you might realize that some of your colleagues, some of your friends, you know, some of your neighbors may actually be angel investors. So wow, that's one thing. It's also angel investing is also it's a huge industry. It's about 25 to 26 billion dollars a year is invested in startups every year. It's uh, a great feature of our economy. Typically 50 to 60,000 companies are funded by angels each year. And we're really proud that Golden Seeds is a part of it. And I'll just add that although entrepreneurship does happen all over the world, it is really an Ameri- in the American DNA to start companies and grow them to be among the biggest companies in the world. So we are here at Golden Seeds really thrilled to be part of that, what they often refer to as the innovation economy. Yes. So how does your investment process work? How are you day-to-day working with entrepreneurs at Golden Seeds? So we see about a thousand companies a year at Golden Seeds. So that's, and what we'll describe here is what often happens with groups like ours, but we do see a lot. And many of them do apply for funding. Not all of those thousand, a thousand companies apply for funding at Golden Seeds, but we see a lot and provide many opportunities for entrepreneurs to come to us really every month. We offer those opportunities so that they can get some feedback often in our complimentary office hours program, which is described on our website, because we want entrepreneurs to come and get advice, even if they think they're not quite ready to look for funding. And then for those who do apply for funding, they are all considered in one form or another, and many have do have the opportunity to meet in what we call a screening meeting. And then after that, there may be more meetings and and the formation of a due diligence team around that company to really assess the the merits of that investment. Uh, those are all conducted by investors at Golden Seeds to determine if we will ultimately make an investment. It's important to stress that beyond making the initial investment, the, we then have a long relationship with the companies to support their growth, which could actually take quite a few years. We often say at Golden Seeds that after the investment is made is when the work really begins. We might serve as advisors or board members for those companies. One of our most important roles as post-investment support is to help them in post is post-investment support, which is to help them find customers, make introductions for potential customers, potential strategic partners, funders, and even some case advisors, or possibly help them find staff. Yeah, it's a it's a lot to coordinate, but um, angel investors are definitely profit motivated. Don't think that they're not because they are. 
that a lot of angel investors also have a little bit of altruism in that they've had, you know, a good career. They've had great mentors in their own lives that put them in a position to be able to make some of these investments. And a lot of those people are incredibly generous with their time, their expertise, and their, you know, who they can get to with all companies, even the ones they're not investing in. So pretty, it's a pretty amazing network of people. So working with over, I use like 250 companies now, what is something that I would love to know from both of you, you have seen as a common trend that certain entrepreneurs exhibit that makes them successful like what about them is that thing you you've gathered that sets them apart from the entrepreneurs that don't do as well can i take a crack at that please do yeah (laughs) um so i would say that listening is one of the most important things that entrepreneurs have to do because you have an idea and then how you affect that idea depends on how the people that you're going to ultimately try to sell this thing to would use it. And it might be a great idea, but you have to be able to hear what people are saying about it so that the next time you pitch it, you can, you know, meet those, uh, the, the negatives or enhance the positives. So I'd say listening is one really good topic, um, really good trait. Um, I would say another trait is understanding what you don't know. And a, you'll see a, a great entrepreneur will attract talent to her. And one of the ways that she does that is not just by her own magnetism, but by the fact that she's willing to appreciate what other people know that she doesn't. So that's, um, yeah. those are two things that separate people in the we also always assess whether they have the makings of a great leader. And it may be their team. It may be one, the one person that is founding the company, but they ultimately will succeed or fail based upon their team, their ability to attract a team that will stay with them through thick and thin, thin and also build a great company because the entrepreneur cannot do it herself. So, and I love John, Joanne's comments about listening because this is listening to us if we're asking questions, but it's listening to their advisors, their board members, and really importantly, the marketplace. Because if the, there is no substitute to the marketplace and your customers giving you feedback on what you're doing. And, you know, we've learned over time that there is no company we've invested in that has exactly the same business model, business plan, even a year after we invest than it did at the beginning, they always iterate and adapt and adjust. And that's because they're listening. So if they don't, if they seem to be a little rigid about that, it isn't, it isn't just that one incident. It's that in general, will they absorb the the changes they they need to make in their business? I love that. Okay. So I have, oh, sorry, Joanne, you, you, you're on mute. Were you going to add to that? Nope. Okay. Okay. Loretta so, said it all. <laughs> perfect. Settle this for me, if you will. Instinct or data first when making a decision on investing in a woman-led company. Oh, you mean for investors? You know, there's this saying that people have when they are 
angel investors. They say, do you bet the horse or do you bet the jockey? And it would be really great to have a great jockey on a great horse every time, but that's not usually the way things happen. So I can't speak for everybody, but speaking for myself, I first invest in the jockey um, because the jockey can change the horse. The horse can't change the jockey. So that's me. And Loretta may feel differently, but. I, yeah, I don't feel differently. I will say that that there is some amount of data that does have to kick in early, such as how big is this opportunity really? Because even a great jockey, if it's a small, small opportunity, it's very hard to rationalize that this can become a big, big company. So, but it's it's important not to get so bogged down in the data that you're not trying to understand kind of the wisdom of of this team that is that is in front of you. So certainly a certain amount of the data is, is important early on. And then I would say, you know, the further along the company is, Jenna, the more data there is. So, you know, we typically, well, when I say we are our investors, our investors on occasion invest in a company that's completely pre-revenue. But usually we're investing in companies that have a little bit of proof of concept revenue and companies that, you know, have a, a, a product in market, even if it's a, a version one, you know. And once you get out there and you're seeing what's happening, then you start to have the data and the data becomes more important and there's more of it to use to make a decision. Can you both speak to a few or one of your favorite companies that are in your portfolio that have had a lot of success? And then second part is what you think has really ultimately led to that success. So I'll start that one with Bento Box. Bento Box is a company that we invested in, in I think maybe it was the end of 2018, it was 2019. And they basically offered, they still do, they sell, they were selling marketing services to restaurants. And the most important thing that they were selling was a kind of um, website that the way it was constructed, it was easier to see it on Google. So they could take Resi and Open Table out of the equation for a lot of restaurants. And it was growing really well. The CEO, Crystal, Mulvania was just doing a great job growing this company. It was growing in 100, 150, 200% a year. And then lo and behold, the first part of 2020 happened. And she was at ground zero of the disruption in the economy, selling marketing services to restaurants that are now closed. And she just thought about it a little bit and pivoted that whole company in a matter of months to focus on a whole new set of tech on online ordering. She still grew the company almost 50% in 2020. And then it was just a sheer work. It was, it was heroic. And by the end of, a, of 2021, she had sold the company to Pfizer, you know, all cash deal. That was fantastic for her. She owned it in her team and fantastic for us. It was like 10 to 12. 
times your money back at 50% IRS and um, her ability to deal with uh, adversity is just exactly what we want to say that we That's great. Maybe I'll jump in and say something about another company that was called Little Passports. It wasn't, was called, they still exist, but they have been sold. This is a children's edutainment company, and it was started by some exec- prior former executives from eBay, two women who had small children who often you find that entrepreneurs will create things from their own life experience, and they wanted to create an educate, educational program for their, for their children and others. Uh, but they created a subscription business. It's one of the first monthly subscriptions or regular subscription businesses in the country where children every month would receive a packet of information that educates them about some part of the world. And it was really thrilling. It's, it's and, and the name of the company, Little Passports, is known. It became quite a beloved brand over the years. And it they extended to states in the United States and science and many other things that all of which was based on the fact that children got packages in the mail that would educate them about these topics. They grew the company to be $50 million in revenue. Um, Really remarkably, they did this on less than $6 million in cap of equity or capital invested, which in our minds is very admirable and it makes it a very efficient kind of investment. So they were incredibly capital efficient in running this business. They sold in 2021 to a company called Begin, which is another children's brand focused on learning. And they produced a return for their investors of 24 times the amount of money on average that was, or up to 24 times the amount of money that those investors put into the company. So that was a huge success. And it was really a good example of how, you know, a startup can take a while, but can ultimately produce a really big result for their, for their investors. That's an incredible multiple. That's yeah, an incredible multiple. <laughs> and Joanne, maybe you could say something about Gummy Cube. Oh, yeah. And we, our best exit in 2022 was uh, uh, Gummy Cube. Gummy Cube is a company that you never heard of because it's a services company. It helps people who, who app companies optimize their uh, exposure on, you know, the Google store and the Apple store. And our investors uh, invested maybe five or five years ago or something. And they raised one round of funding at a buck a share and then sold to a strategic in June for $22 a share. And they never missed a beat. And it was really proud and happy for them and our investors, those guys who decided that that was one that they were interested in. So things that we're seeing now that are exciting. to me anyway, are some of these advanced materials companies that we're seeing. I guess it's not surprising that we're seeing those companies because just to lay the background, you know, women in the U.S. get about, you know, more than 35% of the STEM degrees, but they don't get very many in computer science. They get more than half of those are in bio, life science, and um, advanced materials and chemical sciences. And, you know, what we see is largely 
the things that women have, have expertise in and that they're developing. So recently we're seeing, last four or five years, we've been seeing a lot more advanced materials companies. And they're really cool. Two that we uh, funded this year, one was called Summary Scientific. It's actually in New Jersey, right on the turnpike. And basically what they make is they make conductive glues, conductive adhesive. And the particular one that they make can cure just with light. And so it can go right into a regular manufacturing room. And conductive adhesive is like this holy grail for people who are working on flexible electronics. So we're really excited about them. One of the founders of women um, engineer. And another cool one that we funded this year is called Gelata Thin, Thin Film. And this is an advanced material that you can sandwich biologics in between two pieces of it and get rid of the cold chain. That's very exciting. I think at a certain point, once you see enough success on the monetary side, I bet that becomes a lot more exciting is the, the projects that could do both. Don't get that many of those though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So a lot of our listeners are either early stage investors or, or sorry, early stage entrepreneurs or really want to become entrepreneurs. What do you think is something that would be really helpful for them to know in this process of either starting or wanting to start that you feel like they just have to know? I want to just put it in time and place right now, Jenna, because we are in a sort of a situation right now where lots of people have the idea that we might have a, you know, a recession in 2023. And that an important point. And we've also had a huge run up in venture investing, you know, the valuations that people were investing in 2021 and 2022. And we're seeing those things come down a little bit. So if you haven't raised money before, I think that you need to just, I think that you have to think that going forward, where the ideas are going to get funded. Okay. That's not a problem. But I do think that you have to understand that it might be a little bit tougher going forward than it was in the last couple of years. So I think entrepreneurs who haven't raised money yet, they should strategize with their advisors, um, you know, and the, you know, the people they have around them and think about ways to conserve the cash that they currently have and extend that runway so that you know they don't suddenly get to the point where they can't go on. And so that will lead them to, I think, make some tough choices about, oh, if I could get this money, I could, you know, do these three growth initiatives. But I think maybe start with one, you know, for the next couple of quarters until you see how you can how easy it is to, to bring money in, just because we don't know. And for people who have already raised a range, you know, who are already moving up the curve, I think they have to do the same thing. By in fact, every company that I'm working with, they're doing this. They are, you know, they're looking at their business plan relative to the change in the environment. And they're thinking about 
of businesses slow down, of partnerships take longer, if customers are slower to buy something, is this going to extend the time that it's going to take me to prove out my value proposition? So I think they have to think about that. Then I think that in these kind of markets, I have lots of ideas about this, but in particular in these kind of markets, number one, make sure that you are communicating with the people who already funded you. The thing I might jump in and add to that is that for entrepreneurs who are listening to this, if you are say you're going to go pitch investors, it's helpful to think about who are those people. And they are people who are going to take out their personal checkbook and write checks. So that's why this upcoming market environment may make a difference because it's a little hard to know what the sentiment will be depending on how those people are feeling about their own portfolios. So hopefully, these are often sophisticated people who've been through ups and downs of many markets and they'll keep investing and they'll see that innovation continues. But you're really appealing to people who have to decide if they want to take their own personal capital and continue to put into these businesses. So it may be slightly slower in the coming year. I think that's such wise advice and it's important to know that it might be hard. And I think just having that conversation is very important. Um, it's, it's hard enough starting a business, but knowing the year that we're going into, I think it's, yeah, we have to prepare. That's right. that's right. And on the other end, what advice would you give investors, I guess, going into 2023 yeah. as well? What should they be looking for? And like you said, there's been ups and downs and we look through history. We know downtimes are actually, they have quite a lot of opportunity. Right. So what would you say would be your advice to investors? Of course, we see many uh, companies all the time at Golden Seeds. We have hundreds of investors here. And you know, I, I think Joanne would agree with me to say they will continue to invest. They will continue to invest. They will continue to do due diligence on these companies. They attend our meetings in large numbers. We're thrilled with that. They will, you know, they will understand, they continue to understand that it's important to conduct due diligence for themselves to answer questions like whether the firm has the right management team with the expertise that is necessary for this, the industry they're operating in. Do they have a business model that seems scalable so that they can really grow a big business here? Do they have they really thought about how much capital it's going to take to grow this businesses and how long it's going to take to get to some scale? Um, it's very important for companies to know what is the size of their target market. And so investors look for all of this because that's how they cobble the pieces together to say, does this look like a good opportunity? The one thing I would say beyond all, or a few things beyond all of that is that, you know, Golden Seeds has, this is not our first rodeo if we do go into a recession. We've been through a recession before. We've been through the pandemic. And the one thing we know is that innovation does not stop. And in fact, there is something about times of stress that make innovation and the boldness of of new ideas even greater and more intense than before. So we love that. We love to see that coming along and we you know we love the opportunity to participate even at modest levels of investments which angel investors can also do and we you know we have learned that at these early stages where we invest 
the pricing or the valuations for these companies will probably not be out of line. They will probably be within range for what is appropriate for what they're offering. So in you know, many of our investors still are eager to offer their expertise to support these companies, even in these challenging times. So we expect that we will have a pretty good year this year um, with, you know, the, the appropriate amount of caution in this environment. Amazing. What, and this is my second to last question, what are you both most excited about in the venture community right now? I know we kind of touched on opportunities and stresses that might come in the next year, but what industry or trend are you excited by? We, a, a couple of things though. We have two companies in our portfolio already that use conversational AI. And one of them is, uh, is Elise AI Technologies. It's right here in New York City. It is a company that uses a very sophisticated machine learning AI slash AI uh, system to query questions in business. And the, their first market was the real estate market. And when we invested in them in, I think it was the beginning of 2019, they had maybe uh, they have three or four customers. They held maybe 10,000 apartments, you know, that the owners and managers were using the services with. And they've just crossed a million units. Wow. A million units. And again, like everybody else, they were sort of you know, out of business for six months because you couldn't talk to any people who were trying to rent apartments. So, it's because it's so efficient. It's cheap, it's efficient, it saves money on both sides of the equation, and the technology just gets better and better. So um, I'm very excited about that. And we have another company, Conversational AI, it's called CloudSmart. And this is uh, basically a company that uses, uh, it takes like people who are companies who are running large surveys across all their employees, it takes that data in, in a very efficient way and sorts the comments by uh, relevance and by repetition and uh, stuff like that. And it's very cool. And we're seeing some of the big consulting firms looking at this kind of technology. So AI is one thing that I think is cool. I think it is worth commenting since, curiously, we haven't said anything about this in this conversation, but it is really worth commenting on the incredible strength that women entrepreneurs have in the biological sciences, healthcare, life sciences, and so forth. So we, uh, from the very beginning of Golden Seeds, we noticed that women were coming in with amazing innovation in the biological sciences. They might've been therapeutics. They might have been, they might be medical devices or health tech and one or diagnostics. I mean, it, it, and if you study what women are studying, they really dominate a lot of those fields. Um, so we are thrilled by that. It's more than 25% of the companies we've invested in that who are, that are in broadly healthcare. Um, an example of one that is just worth mentioning, it's just one of many, but, but there's a company called Oculogica, which created the first, it was, first of all, it was founded 
by one of the 200 female neurosurgeons in this country, Uzma wow. Samadani. She was, um, and she created the first ever non-invasive diagnostic for concussion. So it happens to be kind of like a goggle that will measure eye movements and create an assessment about whether someone has or has not had a concussion in a very precise way. It's a medical device. It has received FDA approval, um, but it's such a great example of a, of a device that can change the world and save lives. And here we are in the middle of the football season. And I think we often, I often think of that company when I think of football and but many other activities, including just accidents that happen all the time that have not until this company had a non-invasive way to diagnose concussion. And the CEO of that company happens to be her sister, who is a PhD in a similar field. And it, you know, it's a really interesting company all around. But it, and it's just an example of the amazing things women do in life sciences. We have a company called Auto Nexus. Is that it? Yeah. Where they have a uh, you know those things that the doctor uses to see if a kid has a uh, ear infection. Well, they have one looks just like that, but at the end it has a little ultrasound machine and it puts ultrasound through the air to see if behind if the fluid behind the ear is bacterial or non-bacterial. Wow. And it is the coolest darn thing and um you know, one of the problems we have in this country is we overuse antibiotics. And if you could do this for a parent whose kid is screaming because his ear hurts and say, look, you can see here, it's viral. I'm not giving you antibiotics. That yeah. would be a great thing. It's great. Um, so that's great. And then another area away from the life sciences that we are starting to see, and we have two companies so far, is essentially data science as a service. Um, you know, if you're a really big company, you can have a bunch of data science scientists on board. If you're a smaller company, how do you get the ability to use, uh, to, to get some of the benefits of having data science? Um, and these companies are springing up that are offering those services as a, as a software service. So we funded two so far, Greenify. Uh, which is one, and um, the other one sort of does that is paradigm four. So um, well, I'm yeah. excited about that too. Okay, I need to I need to write you guys after and get the names of all of these again because I'm like a nerd and love reading about all of this stuff. Okay, so last question. Thank you both so much. This has been an amazing conversation and my question is, you both have had such a successful career. If you were to go back um, and be able to take a piece of information with you to the past, um, what would you what would you tell yourself? What do you wish you knew at a younger age when you were just starting out in your career? And it could be personal or related to work. You know, I I do think about this a bit because of some other work that I do outside of Golden Seeds, and I actually feel that. Um, uh, it's really important as soon as you can in your career to have a really good sense of your own power. Because, mm. and this is often I think about this for women, but it is true for everyone to have a very 
clear sense of how you can change things where you are, how you can have an impact, how you can say things in a certain way that get through, that break through, where that gives gives you power to make a difference. And it's um, it's not easy for everyone, and it's not easy for many of us. But I often would say, if I had understood that even earlier in my life than I ultimately did, it could have made a big difference in in a lot of ways. Gave me chills. So good. I think it's so cool. And um, actually, I have something that's sort of similar to what Loretta said. Um, something I figured out, but later in my career, I wish I had known it at the beginning. When you make a mistake, analyze that mistake and understand, was it a mistake of judgment? Was it a mistake of not knowing enough? Was it just luck? What caused you to make that mistake? And when you do that, then you end up making different mistakes. That's, that's okay. But you never want to repeat the kind of decision making that made you make a specific mistake. Mm, and I great. wish I had, I learned, I learned that through trial and error. I wish somebody had told me that yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, that's great, Joanne. That is so good. Oh, I can't wait for our listeners to listen to this. This is so inspiring. Thank you both so, so much for being on. I'm so honored to have Thank you. Thank you, Jenna. We were honored Thank to you, be Jenna. here. It was great. really great. Great to talk to you. Really Thank okay. you so much. Okay, I hope you enjoyed this episode and are feeling so fired up to go out there and create that business or side hustle that's been on your to-do list, you know, a little bit longer than you care to admit. It is never too late to make the first step towards the life you want more than anything else. If you haven't already, make sure you are subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, keep becoming the woman of your wildest dreams.